At AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored for your business needs. Specializing in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. To elevate your business, visit ajproducts.ie. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. Now, in today's episode, we are taking a deep dive into the world of perfectionism, asking what is it exactly, why more women are affected by it and the ways to overcome it. I have worked with so many female clients over my it's now 12 years in clinical practice, and I see this all the time. This is my daily bread, if you like. Really, essentially, it is a fear. It is a fear of the most universal fear that we've all felt at some point, and that is not being good enough. That was Fiona Brennan there, a clinical hypnotherapist and author who has lots of experience helping women overcome perfectionism. In her book, The Self-Love Habit, Fiona writes how being a perfectionist is one of the biggest blocks to happiness and well-being. In this episode, you'll also hear from author Idel Coffey. Despite publishing two books and enjoying a successful career as a writer and broadcaster, Idel has also battled with perfectionism through the years. It's a form of self-sabotage, she says. And it's true, perfectionism is a personality trait that is characterised by a tendency to set extremely high, rigid or flawless goals and place excessive demands on oneself and others. It's not a mental health condition, but people who exhibit perfectionistic traits are more likely to develop disorders such as depression, anxiety and eating disorders. And studies have also shown that women are more likely to have perfectionistic tendencies. So why is that? How does it manifest and how can you tell what's healthy and what's toxic? And most importantly, how do we get past it? We'll explore all this and more with today's guests, Fiona Brennan and Idel Coffey. Adele, I could actually do with a bit more perfectionism, really, in my life. Uh, So this whole thing fascinates me that you can become so wrapped up in being a perfectionist. You actually look perfect to me. I can see you, obviously, (coughs) and you look perfect. You've written a novel that I gather has sort of achieved at least a six figure sum and another one on the way. So you've done okay in spite of this awful perfectionism. But Just tell me a bit about it. When did you realise you were a perfectionist and how did you know and what exactly is wrong with that? Yeah, I kind of hate myself now, uh, Cathy, the way you've described me there (laughs) as looking perfect and having this six figure book. I'm like, yeah, I I, I hate myself. (laughs) But no. um, So I think I just I think I was always a perfectionist, but I think I didn't really understand what perfectionism is or was. And for me, when people said I'm a perfectionist, I was like, oh, God, shut up. Stop being so smug. Like it was almost like saying I'm perfect. But what I came to realize later is a perfectionist for me. Anyway, my interpretation of it is and how I experience it is that it's this kind of paralyzing uh, feeling of not being able to do anything unless it's perfect. And obviously, as we all know, nothing is ever perfect in life. The time is never perfect. Um, The conditions are never perfect for anything. And, you know, even if you try your hardest, it's never going to be perfect. So I had this thing of, you know, I had lots of goals and ambitions. And when I had children, so my eldest daughter is eight now. So eight years ago, I had my first baby and Then I had another daughter a year later. And believe me, those experiences were not perfect. (laughs) But but at that point, I realized all of these ambitions I had um, and that I had assumed I would get to when the conditions were perfect, that they actually might not happen. And that's the point at which I realized, actually, you are being a perfectionist here because you're really you're not giving yourself the opportunity to achieve the things you always hoped and dreamed of achieving by being a perfectionist, which is saying, I can't even begin to try to do something like this until I have this amount of time in my life or until I have, you know, the perfect office or until I have the latest Apple Mac or whatever your conditions might be. Do you know that we put all these silly things down as as, as what we need? And what I realized in the chaos of those particular early years was that 
actually, I could just spend five, 10, 15 minutes, even an hour if I could grab it, um, working on something. And if I did that every day or every second day, I could actually make some progress. And the progress I was making made me realize, oh, actually, you know, this is better than I thought it would be. You know, if somebody said to me, oh, you've got 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day to write something, Edel. I just think in my head, oh God, that's going to be horrendous and awful. And how could it be any good if you spend such a small amount of time every day? But what I didn't realize was you can achieve a lot and often the things can be better than you hoped they would be, even if the circumstances aren't perfect. But Adele, before we, we turn to Fiona and ask her where all this comes from and to describe it in a more clinical way, maybe, what were you most afraid of? What was your big oh fear? God. Like, I think I actually think perfectionism is just solid fear and I'm afraid of everything. But some a friend of mine who's she's a brilliant artist and she's also a brilliant writer and she's one of those people who's just brilliant at everything. She's really creative. But she said to me one day, she said, I think you're afraid of success. And again, I kind of like really just was very resistant to that idea. And I said, how can anybody be afraid of success? I would love success. But it. The more I thought about it, the more it made some sense to me, because I think a lot of people are afraid of success in a way. Um, I was afraid of failure, obviously, much more afraid of failure. But um, and I, I read something that Fiona wrote actually about that fear of success, because we fear both things, I think. And it sounds really weird to say it, but yeah, success, the small amount that I've had it, it is kind of frightening because it sort of takes you into a different place. And like, I, you know, obviously my success is on a very small scale, but I think I was afraid of, of that as well as failure. I was afraid of failure in a much bigger okay. way. But being judged as well, exposure, we're so exposed these days, even just everything feels observed because we're online so much. And I just, I, I had to read battle against that. And I started doing this thing on Instagram of like posting one sentence every day when I was just starting to write fiction. And I'd post a, a sentence because, you know, you can make a sentence really good, uh, but a paragraph, the paragraph might be awful, but you can really make a sentence really good. So I post and post that and, you know, people would interact a bit. And that kind of got me, I noticed as I went along and was posting every day that I was becoming less afraid of um, just, just showing things to people. And I just think that fear of exposure is very big. And I had a lot before the first book came out, but I'm, I don't feel it so much now with the second one. But Adele, if I can just say that I think every journalist, however lowly in the hierarchy, feels that. You kind of feel you're doing yeah. your leaving cert every week and you're exposing yourself terribly to people you'd rather not know what you're thinking 100%. or speaking. Yeah. So what is it that's different about this? What makes you a perfectionist and your average sort of little fearful journalist? Uh, sort of, you know, what is the difference? I don't know. I think it might be to do, I think it's very personal. I think it's to do with like low self-esteem or something like that. Mm. Um, like, I, I really do think it's it's personal. And like, as a woman now in my 40s, I really try to sort of talk to myself in a different way and um, try to have a rational voice when I hear that sort of like low self-esteem. But I don't know if it's me personally, how I grew up, I had a very sort of supportive family, a very loving mother who was like, you can do anything. But at the same time, I was a little girl in the 80s. And mm. that's not that wasn't a particularly amazing time for little girls or women, I suppose. So maybe I grew up with that sense of like not not having a lot of self-esteem. Um, I hope things are different now, but I do think that's where it comes from. But also like it comes from things like um I think it comes from what we internalize as young people. Like when I was a little girl, I read really early and I was told that I was clever and I was mm -hmm. told that I was really good at reading. And then I was really into reading. And I don't know if I got into reading because yeah. I was told I was good at it. Yeah. And then I think, you know, you go to secondary school and suddenly you're not the cleverest person in the class. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of that perfectionism is connected to how we see ourselves as kids. I think, you know, um, when we see ourselves as as good at something and we get sort of rewarded for something early on, then we think, oh, well, I have to be the best at this or I have right. to be really good at this. Okay. And obviously going into journalism is the worst possible career you can go into if you want to get told you're great. Absolutely, because <laughs> you, you get nothing but abuse day. every each day, all day, every day. Fiona, <laughs> now just can you tell me what the difference is between what Idel is talking about there and 
say, imposter syndrome, which, which a lot of women also talk about. Oh, I have that too, Kathy. <laughs> oh, my God. This is shocking. Fiona, you know, tell I'm us just about her. listening to, to this. Well, to be honest, I think it's important to really define perfectionism in a sense because it's, it is similar and there are connections to imposter syndrome. But I have worked with so many female clients over my, it's now 12 years in clinical practice. And I see this all the time. This is my daily bread, if you like. Um, So what I see and what I've learned through that experience is patterns of behaviour. And essentially, like you are definitely hitting some of the nails on the head there, Adele, in terms of really essentially it is a fear. It is a fear of the most universal fear that we've all felt at some point, and that is not being good enough. Mm. So if you've heard yourself saying at some point, I am not good enough as a mother, good enough as a daughter, good enough as a writer, good enough as essentially and fundamentally a person. Oh my God, get out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is it. And that's, you know, when you work with people in, in therapy for many, many years, you do garner that experience and you see it. And it's, you know, I'm not taking this lightly. It is, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see the pressure that women put on themselves. But I suppose the point is, Fiona, that women do that. We know this. My goodness, we've spent many hours in this studio on the Women's Podcast. Yes. Talking about imposter syndrome and the pressure women put on themselves. But tell us about perfectionism, because that sounds to me like a a bridge beyond. Well, essentially, it is a way of protecting yourself. So, for example, if you let's just imagine um, you have the belief, you hold the belief that you are not good enough. OK, let's just take that for a moment. Well, that's not a very motivating belief to carry. Mm. So what you need to do is you need to find a way to protect yourself from that. So what you will start to do, and a lot of this is unconscious. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm going to consciously create this misery for myself. But what you do is you start to employ methods that You cannot be happy at this point, but you will be happy when X, Y or Z. When I weigh this certain amount, when I get that promotion, when I have another child, when I meet a partner, when I get a bigger house, when I X, Y or Z, the the list can go on. And what's really heartbreaking, as I said, is that that moment will never come. You could be walking down winning an Oscar, uh, you know, next week or whatever it is. And you will still feel that you are imperfect, that you have not reached the place that you need to reach to finally. And and the work that I do really to help people is that it is about accepting and loving yourself exactly as you are, irregardless if you have a a best-selling novel, irregardless if you have children or not children, irregardless of how you look or your appearance. All of these things will never, ever give us the the feeling that we want inside, and that is to be loved and to be accepted. So perfectionism is a block to self-love. It is a way of avoiding uh, really connecting with ourselves in a way that is vulnerable, in a way that is authentic in the sense that we are we are flawed human beings. We have both amazing qualities and we have uh, flaws, and that's each and every one of us. There's not one of us that isn't um, perfect. It, it doesn't exist. And yet, if we keep striving for that, maybe one day, then we will be worthy, if you like, of love. Fiona, what, what's, what's interesting about it is, it, both of you, is that is that it's a fairly miserable affliction in the sense that things look very peachy on the outside. And people, I, I'm not on Instagram because I know I would spend my entire life on it if I got <laughs> you need, on. Yeah, it. you need to have very good mental health to be on Instagram, to be yes, honest with that's, you. Yes, that's my impression. social media. Because things look utterly perfect. Uh, but not that I'm suggesting you don't have good positive mental health. <laughs> well, I, at least I don't have Instagram, which I think it definitely helps. But I can see why you're on it, Adele. But, but on the inside, Fiona, yeah. it's, it's, and I've been reading both of you, because you both, uh, there have been articles in the Irish Times by you, Adele, and also about you, Fiona. And I'm reading this list of things, anxiety, rigid control, inflexibility, a compulsion to measure yourself by your achievements, a paralysing fear of failure. Mm. Adele, is that what you felt? 
I mean, you're really painting me as a total asshole here. I am, yeah. Because you did say you were an asshole in that <laughs> article. I am an yes. asshole. I, I agree with you. <laughs> it is just like, it is a miserable affliction. But I was so interested in what Fiona said there about it being a way of protecting yourself. Because that part of my discovery about how perfectionism was actually an evil in my life and it was really holding me back. Part of that was realising that actually it's a defence mechanism because if you... Um, stay in that sort of startup phase of like just having ideas and not sort of realizing those ideas or bringing them to completion. You know, you can stay in that, what do they call it? Co- the totality of all or- possibility where, you know, in that starting phase, anything could happen. You could win an Oscar, you could win a Booker, your book could be amazing. But if you don't start it, you can stay in that nice little protective state. But while that is protecting you from all of the bad consequences or things that might happen. Um, It's also blocking you, as you say, from all of the good things that could happen. Mm. And I really just, I made, I remember making a New Year's resolution that year when I just realized I looked around me and, you know, everybody who was my age had at least three books. And then there were journalists who were like 15 years younger than me who had like three books and I was like oh my god you have to stop (laughs) really annoying well so there's there's comparison coming in right and comparison is the thief of joy and and also very very um common in perfectionists it's it's that always comparing and looking to someone else and you'll always find somebody who has uh you know written more books or has now Fiona would have called that plain old jealousy in the past Sorry, Adele. <laughs> yes, and and there are elements of jealousy, and I think you know the part of the liberation, if you like, of 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 freeing yourself from per, yeah. from perfectionism. And I think that's what we really want is to help listeners to to realize that this is something that can be. I've seen people overcome this. I've seen people thrive and move on. And and even if we take away the sense of about achieving, right? It's like whether you achieve or not, it's not really what matters. It's the fact that you are content and at peace within yourself. That's the that's the ultimate uh, success, if you like. More. Yeah. And actually, I felt that when I wrote the book and it got an agent. So I hadn't got any publisher or anything at that point and it hadn't been sold to anybody. But at that point, I felt actually I felt that real contentment. I felt like I had been some way validated and I felt I had achieved the goal I'd set out to achieve, which was to write a novel. And um, the fact that it hadn't been published or not didn't matter at that point. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise you're you're going to con- continue to be in that striving state and that's where perfectionism really gets its teeth into you, if you like, and you'll never... Let's talk about that, Fiona, because one of the things that fascinates me about this, and I think I did say to you earlier before we came on, yeah. uh, that I read both Adele's piece during the week and I also read Joanne Hunt's piece, the interview with you, and... Truly, I said, my God, I know this woman and I do. And I sent this, I sent both of them to a number of people and they all came back with the same name, which is kind of interesting. And one of the things that came through was the thing about control. You're obviously very much into controlling yourself because it's all about controlling, controlling, controlling your inner thoughts, controlling how you express yourself outwardly, but also controlling your environment and the people in your environment. Now, tell me about that control feeling, because that's obviously a fairly serious side effect of this. It's not a mental illness, but it is. There is a side effect to this. There is. And it's a very important one to be aware of the signs of it, if you like. So so when you're controlling, let's say your environment, over controlling your environment, you'll see it in particular with women where the house, for example, has to be perfect, right? The house, the, there can't be a dish out of place because that creates an anxiety that is... I wish that extended. I wish my perfectionism <laughs> yeah. extended to no, my house. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> Believe me, because it's it's actually no fun at all in the sense that, yeah. again, it's like housework. It's it's never ending, is it? Like you'll, mm-hmm. you'll clean one dish and there'll be another one there before you know it. Yeah. So essentially, it's about creating a sense of tidiness, if you like, in your internal home so that Mm. you let go of trying to control external situations, people and events, because, you know, the reality is that those things are out of our control and the the energy that it takes and, and the constant kind of trying to manipulate things to go into whatever direction you wish is actually very, very debilitating and can lead to 
burnout. So one of the signs that if you are suffering from perfectionism is constant exhaustion, is an inability to focus, is an ability to be present, an inability to um, connect with your loved ones so that you become irritable more quickly. You start to find yourself... um, you know, just unable to enjoy things that you might have enjoyed because this is such a a strong, all-prevailing energy that takes over. So you're never really at ease with the sense that, okay, the house is perfect, but now I've got to, my career has to be perfect. My appearance has to be perfect. And I think that, you know, that's one of the main areas as well that women really suffer with is this idea of, of our appearance being perfect. And especially as we get older, I think there's so much pressure on appearance of beauty, let's say, and attractiveness being equated to youthfulness. And that's an area that, that again, is about perfection. It's about trying to make something that, that does. Yeah, exactly. We ha- we get wrinkles as we get older. We get, you know, all sorts of things. And it's like, let's embrace that. Let's let's take that as part of not a flaw, not something to be ashamed of, but something to stand up proud. But Adele, you didn't care about the dishes in the sink. You you a different no. kind of perfectionist. Yeah, it's funny how I can just like shut off one area completely and not care about that at all. Um, yeah. Why am I not a perfectionist about uh, like, I'm not saying my house is a pigsty like it is tight <laughs> <laughs> and it is clean, but I, I don't like, you know, the toy room is a mess and like I have a pile of newspapers and piles of books yeah. and stuff and, you know, it, it's clean, but it's not like meticulous. Um, so I don't know why I can shut that off, but maybe it's like that. It's maybe I don't how, how you how you value your worth. So maybe you've put a lot of time on your career and, yeah. you know, that's where the perfectionism has found its home. See, I'm slightly worried about how we've, you and I, Fiona, have described <laughs> poor Adele now. We've, we've, we've painted you as a, as a demon controller. I'm like um, controlling and everything. I'm not controlling. <laughs> but you're no, not alone. Just tell us about that. You're not a controller. I don't think I am controlling. No. And I, I think actually my husband probably would agree with that. I don't like I don't try to control people, but I think I do like to have a sense of control in my life. And I, when you were talking about that control aspect, I was thinking about um, so I, I would be quite a catastrophist, if, you know, I like to know what the mm. worst possible outcome yeah. could be so I can kind of prep myself for that in case it should happen. So when I became pregnant, for example, I think this is a good example of that sort of like trying to gain a sense of control over a situation over which I have no control through um through just knowing all the detail. And again, it's the journalist thing, I think. But when I became pregnant with my first child, I read every single clinical report for the year that was um, in every single maternity hospital in the country. And that included like why there were neonatal deaths and stuff that no pregnant woman should be reading about. But I felt that by reading all of that, I could control my fears that I had about, you know, something going wrong or something happening to the baby. And obviously, you know, your first baby, you're really worried and anxious. But but yeah, so that is not normal behavior. I realize that. But uh, it, it gives me a sense of control over a situation over which I have no control. I would say it is quite normal, Adele. Like, honestly, it's oh, really important to, to understand. I think that's where compassion comes in, right? We've got to bring compassion to this. And, and you know, the reality is that you are so not alone with that. It's, it's very common fear. And I think that, you know, again, that comes from experience because what you see, what what we see on the outside isn't what's going on. Like a lot of people are hiding these fears. So that's why it's really useful to have a conversation like this because it's bringing it out and it's it's helping people to see that they're not alone. And when that Mm. happens, that's very healing. That's very therapeutic in itself to realise, well, yeah, I Googled that as well. And Mm. I was so afraid that, you know, uh, when my first baby and that's, that's more normal than it's not. But what, we want just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's the be- the best way to live because it does create anxiety and the very thing last thing you want when you're pregnant is the stress cortisol going through your system. So what you want to do really is to use that awareness and then to actually start to apply um, mindfulness, compassion to help comfort and soothe yourself so that you aren't getting caught up into that stress state because the stress state is not somewhere we want to be living in. Okay, Fiona, but just tell me, when does Adele's anxiety about a perfectly normal anxiety, I think, about her first baby tip over into perfectionism? What is the link there? Well, 
It's it's the the link is is like I said the awareness it's catching it right so mm. it's not that the fear being there is a problem a fear being there is normal it's it's understandable so it's being able to say to oneself and and you said it yourself earlier Idal which I love to hear is that you said you know I'm changing the way I speak to myself right so it's the relationship that we have with ourselves so I've been doing this work for so long I've suffered with chronic anxiety in my youth. It can still come up, but there isn't one of us that isn't free in the sense of feeling anxious. But it's the relationship to that anxiety. It's real, and when we're talking about anxiety, we could be placing the word perfectionism in there. Yes. Okay, in terms yes. of how it manifests, and um, so the ability to use that awareness and actually work with yourself and say, "My darling," to yourself, "This is normal. It's okay. It's understandable that you feel like this." And that changes everything. So we're not trying to get rid or or sort of criticise ourselves for being afraid or over, you know, Googling or whatever it might be. But we're saying this is this is understandable. And the awareness is our, our gold. It's once we're aware of something, we can actually do something about Fiona, it. Fiona, I'm, I'm very interested to hear that you suffered from chronic anxiety yourself. Yeah. What age were you when that happened? It really kicked in in my teens, to be honest with you, uh, and quite bad, very chronic, to be honest, right up to, I would say, my late 20s. um, And then certainly having a child, I think, as well. I had my son when I was 31. And it was at that point where I just kind of knew that I really had to do something to not pass this down the generations. I yeah. didn't want him to to pick up on on the transference of my own uh, anxiety, and I think a lot of people feel that when they become parents that you know, and the perfectionism would have been part of that. Even though I don't consider myself a perfectionist, I do remember wanting everything to be perfect for him. You know, the mm. cot had to be right, and the temperature of the bottle had to everything had to be right, and that and the stress that that caused. So. Really, I've been on a, on a huge journey since then. Yeah. I'm now 48. So in that period of time, I've, I've, I've really, really grown. And did become, you go for therapy yourself? I did. And were you already a therapist yourself at that stage? No, I was not. No, no, no. But I, it's, it sort of opened the door, if you like, and I saw the benefits of it. I saw how healing it was, how important it was. And I basically went solidly for two years to a psychotherapist and I cried every single week for two years, <laughs> which doesn't sound like much fun, but it, no. it, was, it was really very, very helpful. Adele, did you have something similar or did having a, did having a child sort of settle you a bit? No, um, no, I like I've never I, I think I'm actually the last person in Ireland who doesn't have a therapist and like I'd, I'd love one, but um, I haven't. <laughs> That's I a haven't. call out to all therapists. <laughs> if anyone wants to try it. But no, I, I, I don't have a therapist and I've never thankfully um, I've been very lucky in that I've never um, uh, suffered so extremely that I felt that I've needed professional help, but I fully encourage it and support it and think if I had time, I would definitely get one. But no, I, I didn't have anything like that. And having babies, having babies had a really weird effect on me, OK, because I was um, I was 37 when I had my first daughter and I had spent like, you know, what, 27, 25 years Oh my God, I'm so bad at maths. Working in journalism. (laughs) I started when I was 22, whatever that works out. No, 15 years. God, I'm aging myself. So anyway, yeah, (laughs) working a long time and being a single selfish adult for a long time and then having babies was a big shock. But what it did to me was it really sort of focused me intensely and it it actually broke the perfectionism, Mm. strangely, because I realised if I didn't lower my standards, I was never going to achieve anything. I just thought, you know, you're going to have to bring these standards right down. And I'm not saying like everything I did was really good. It was just like I had these really high ideals that I thought I was going to achieve. But of course, I wasn't. And realising that my life was very uh, curtailed in terms of um, time and also um, just energy, I just said to myself, OK, you're either going to do this in, you know, a less perfect way than you thought you were or you're not going to do it at all. And and that was it was just an incredible breakthrough. 
AJ Products, we're dedicated to delivering intelligent solutions tailored exclusively for your business needs. Spanning offices, warehouses, industries, workshops, schools and public spaces. Specialising in warehouse and project planning, we bring efficiency and sustainability to the forefront. Our offerings include versatile storage solutions and comprehensive office project design and implementation. With over 45 years of experience, we stand as your trusted partner in smart B2B solutions. To explore all we have to offer, visit ajproducts.ie and elevate your business with AJ Products. Idal, you also read something that was quite pivotal, I think. Uh, was it a, a, a Voltaire quote? Oh, yeah, sure. Like, that was the quote. I had come across that, but it was a quote that was used all the time during the p- mm. pandemic. Do you remember? It was don't, right. let, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good or the good enough, as I like to say. But um, because we were talking about, you know, vaccines and uh, solutions to the pandemic, that became really to the fore. But I had come across it a few years earlier. And again, it was all around that time that I had just sort of made this resolution to, um, I remember the actual words I used were like achievement or progress over perfection was what I was going for that year. I just said, you know, you're going to try to achieve things. The things might not be good. They might not be perfect. They definitely won't be perfect, but you will have achieved these things. What was your tipping point, Adele? At what point did you think, whoa, I cannot go on like this? Yeah, well, like it was it's like it's a very long, boring story, but it was like the whole time around giving birth. I moved from Dublin to Galway, where my husband lives. Um, I went on two years maternity leave back to back because I had the babies back to back. So I was really out of my element. And that was a tipping point because like many women who have children and leave work for even a short period of time, they suddenly feel like they've lost their identity completely. And I felt like the only way to reclaim my identity in those circumstances was to do something, um, to achieve something. Oh God, I sound so sad. But like, it was like, I need to do something like that gives me that feeling that work gave me and I wasn't in work. So I just thought, okay, just do the book. Like, And you you had left, you had left a job at that stage, Adele. You had... I didn't go back actually yeah. after my maternity leaves um, because it was um, a full-time job and I would have been commuting from Galway to Dublin. Right. The children are here and... Not a good idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and as a perfectionist, that would have been a disaster. Yes. So you decided I'm going to write a book. I, I need to break this yeah. this this cycle. And I'm again, going to write a book. I, I'd just like to preface this. If anybody's thinking, here's this asshole who has two babies <laughs> in a row and decides she's going to write a book. I'd just like to preface it by saying, you know, that the dishes were not washed and <laughs> nothing was tidy. And I was doing it in really small periods of time. And that was a breakthrough for me as well. It was just this thing of like, okay, uh, I'm going to just do it. Like when the baby's having a nap, I'll just spend 20 minutes writing and see what comes out. And, you know, sometimes better things than you had hoped came out. So, so yeah, it wasn't like this sort of like, I'm going to, I didn't sit down on day one and have a whole outline for mm. a book and a whole draft or anything like that. Is it fair know. to say that the, once you took the pressure off, you actually began, things began to flow? No, because I, I did not take the pressure off actually. So um, like that book got written because I was just completely determined and I was completely desperate to reclaim an element of my identity, which was I write for a living. This is what I do. And I hadn't had that for so long. I felt completely lost without it. I mean, the the pressure for perfectionism, though, like as in that you, you you know. Oh, yeah, completely. Because I couldn't begin without that. Once the the, once I said, okay, so this is not going to be perfect. And these are not the conditions uh, that you thought you'd write it under. And you're never going to achieve anything unless you get rid of that idea of perfectionism. I wrote like the wind. Yes. And interestingly, Adele, you went from looking for the perfect desk and the perfect environment and the perfect laptop to writing on your knee in the car while you're waiting for the kids I to come know. out of school. Not even in the perfect car. I think the Nissan Qashqai, which I realise is the best car the in its class. Cars, yes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so and that was a brilliant way to write too, because, you know, most days I was sitting there outside the school waiting for the kids to come out and I'd take out my phone and start on Twitter or Instagram. And I just made a deal with myself that every time I took out my phone to do that, that would be my trigger or reminder to just close it down and open my laptop. So I started bringing my laptop everywhere with me as well so that I could just open that up. And again, I think the journalism training is really handy in here. Like some people hear this and think, oh my God, I could never do that. But actually as a journalist, you know, somebody says, I need you to write this in an hour and you can 
produce something. And you'll sit on a wall by the side of a wet street and, <laughs> yeah. and write whatever is required. <laughs> yeah, journalism is the best, ah. the best training for that. Fiona, tell me, so that, that all sounds very familiar to you, obviously. It does. It does. And I think it's also worth bringing something to, to the fore here, which is about perfectionism and high achievement, if you're like, or high expectations, right? And that I think it's important that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, we still want to have do our best, right? There is yes. a sense of like, you know, that it's okay to have high standards, right? It's it's not to say that, you know, being a perfectionist is, is so, it's, it's the extreme. But having high standards for your work, I think is actually really important. Like, I've got mm. really high standards of, of what I do because otherwise you're just putting anything out there and, and, and you know, not really giving it enough um, love and attention. Because if you you're like. an author yourself. Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about that process. I mean, you, you obviously are a very busy yeah. therapist and, and you, you've also... Uh, this is my third book is coming out um, this year in, in April. But yeah, the, the process of writing a book, uh, as I'm sure you know, Adele, it's like you learn a lot about yourself in it. And you also learn that, you know, you get to a point where you have to let it go. You just have to let it go. And that if you keep going over it, you actually are likely, and this is where perfectionists can come in, is you're likely to undo something that's already at a wonderful standard and the best that it's going to be. And that's, I think, what's really important is that you can get to a place where you say, this is the best that it can be. If I start going more into this, I'm going to undo mm. the work that I've done. I'm going to actually uh, destroy the creative process. I'm going to to um, take away from it. So I think that's a really important definition to make because in terms of perfectionism and high standards, it's, it is okay to have high standards. Like, I think that message needs to be clear because, you know, high standards for yourself in terms of how you how you show up, how you're accountable to yourself, how you're, like, what you're talking about there, Adele, is being in the car and you were very devoted to your craft. I was going to use the word disciplined, but it's not discipline. It's like you were so motivated. That's a wonderful yeah, thing. And I, I didn't, I didn't meet anybody for coffees that year. The, all the, all the socialising was gone, you know. Yeah. But I, I was really interested in what you said there about, um, you know, doing your best and having high standards because, yeah, I still do that. But I think the perfectionism thing was believing that your best is not good enough. Exactly. And, when I started believing that and also when I started practicing that and, you know, things follow through and I realized that what I considered my best and the perfectionist in me considered not good enough, um, my best was actually good enough, I realized. And it was, um, you know, it was only me who thought it wasn't good enough. Adele, how did, You're you, amazing. How did that process work for you, though? You didn't seek therapy. Exactly. Sh- but what did you do? How, how did that work? I've just had a good stern talking to myself, Kathy. No, it, well, it, it's here's the thing. If I'd seen a therapist, I probably would have written a book when I was 30 <laughs> and just got it out of the way. Like, and in fact, I had this like ridiculous um, experience when I was 30. And I, you know, I'd wanted to write a book my whole life. And uh, I, I met with this publisher, a, a huge publisher in London. I went over for lunch, met with the publisher herself and then met with an editor who came along to lunch and the publisher said, and this will be your editor. Um, I had sent them an idea and and it was all set up and I was going to write the book and they were going to edit it and publish it. And, um, and I didn't do it. <laughs> wow. And it's just that thing of... Um, I learned the hard way, Kathy. And maybe if I had just gone to a therapist then when I was like 29 or 30, I would have sorted it all out. And they what would age like were you then, Adele, when that happened? That was fairly. I, I was I was 30. Yeah. yeah. And I was I was like I was in journalism long enough to realise that it was, you know, it was a hard slog. And also I kind of knew I always knew that I, I was only I was I was here in journalism, but I really wanted to be a novelist. Um, but it just seemed like such a far fetched, um, unattainable idea. And I think that's just to do with, you know, where I came from, my background. I didn't know any authors or never met writers um, in your daily life, you know, mm. so it just didn't seem like an achievable thing. But yeah, I I I just um, was that, at that a de- point, was, was that a devastating experience, Adele? That you that you you set off on that great journey, and it's, then it's, it's somehow it, ground to a halt. Well, maybe at the time it was like I think I did. 
I think I was very hard on myself at the time thinking like, you should have just done that. Why didn't you just do that? But in retrospect, I just look back on everything and think, you know, well, timing wasn't right. And that idea, actually, I'm so grateful now that I didn't write that book. (laughs) What was the idea? (laughs) You can tell us. (laughs) It was a love story, but it was not a good thing. It was not a good book. (laughs) So Fiona, if if, uh, Idel had come in to you at that stage, as a therapist, what would you have done? said? Probably a lot of what I'm saying now and, and you and I were just saying before we went on air as well, we were saying, you know, that I love when young women come in to mm. see me because, you know, you can actually prevent like decades of unnecessary suffering. You really can. And you can allow that person the opportunity to flourish in whatever way that it means for them. And it doesn't necessarily mean an external achievement, like writing a book is very, you know, tangible thing. But essentially, it's it's like I said earlier, it's like the ability to be at peace with yourself ultimately is 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 what creates um, external success. So we we kind of we flip it around really, and that and that is the work that I do. It's it's an internal process. It's the ability to be your own best friend because, like I said earlier, you could be having all you could be winning the Booker Prize and there's a voice in your head saying it's it's not enough, it's not enough. So what you want is a voice in your own mind that is telling you, I am so proud of you. And I'm proud of you when things don't go well. I'm proud of you actually when you need it most, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when we're feeling vulnerable, when we lose a baby, when we um, don't get the award, when we, you know, when when life is actually really challenging, that's when we need this voice more than anything. So if you don't have that voice in the golden moments where you are, you know, whatever it might be, uh, winning the, the the prize, getting the promotion, if you don't have that voice, then you're very unlikely to have it when you need it in in the in the moments of challenge when you're suffering. Fiona, I'm fascinated that you are a clinical hypnotherapist. Yeah. Could you hypnotize Adele into writing that novel when she was thirty? Well, I suppose it's good to... to can you hypnotise me into writing my third novel? <laughs> like, more importantly. Worry, I've been doing it the whole time. No, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's important to define hypnotherapy of what it yeah. actually is, right? And essentially, it is a focused awareness. It's nothing more, nothing less than that. You're not that. swinging a medallion in front of no, people's eyes. And it's, it's really a higher state of consciousness where you're very alert and where you're very open to positive suggestion. Um, it's one of the tools that I use. It's not the only thing that I use because it's really based on the most important thing in therapy is the relationship between the client and the therapist, no matter what modality you're using. Mm-hmm. If you walk into a room and you don't feel safe or listened to or understood, then no tricks in the trade are going to make any difference. So essentially, you know, Hypnotherapy is very effective in the sense that when that relationship is established, when there's a feeling of safety and trust, what you can do is really help the subconscious to come up to speed. So I do a lot of work with, um, you know, repetition with audios so that you listen to the same thing each and every night. You're going to sleep and you hear the same thing. So let's say in that scenario, Adele comes to me at 30 years of age. She said that she's been to meet these publishers in uh, London. It's so exciting. And she's saying, "I, I just don't think, you know, I can do it. Well, then essentially it's about really helping build her self-esteem at that stage and saying, you can do this. You are as worthy as anybody else of getting that deal, right? So in other words, that how you see yourself, how you visualise yourself can be improved through the hypnotherapy, through by listening Mm. to positive suggestions that help you to actually have a grounding and a faith in yourself. Fiona, I know that you've said that that, uh, uh, this perfectionist tendencies have increased substantially among young people in the last few decades, uh, regardless of gender or culture. Um, What is going on? Are we back to Instagram or what's happening? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely it's it's never been more evident of uh, the ability, the, the, the potential to compare ourselves. But you said the word jealousy earlier, and that's yeah. something that's that's always been there. Yeah. It's just now very, very 
you can't really hide from it as easily as as you once could. Um, and I think it is, it's not It's not just women, it's also like I have a 16-year-old son who will be looking at other, you know, comparing himself perhaps that he should be bigger and buffer and all of this kind of thing. Um, and that puts pressure on, on, on anyone. Um, so I think it's like important to to be very proactive about it in terms of understanding like Yudel said earlier it's it's universal but it's also subjective right so what is the what is your own personal history in terms of what is causing that within yourself what kind of um self esteem did your parents have for example what kind of expectations were put on you or did you put on yourself because sometimes it can be the opposite. Even today I was working with a client who who didn't have very, you know, the parents weren't, you know, saying you need to get A's or anything, but they seem to be indifferent. And therefore, they started to put the pressure on themselves that I don't want to end up like that. I want to be more interesting, for example. So it's understanding. I think it's like so much of this work is actually understanding ourselves. And once we understand ourselves, we can be compassionate. Otherwise, we're just lost in an unconscious default state of being hard on ourselves. And that's what perfectionism is. It's being hard on yourself. Fiona, are you getting 16-year-old clients? Are, no, are parents sending in young people to I, deal with this? To be honest, I work with 18 plus. Yes. Yes. Because I feel that, that that's my area of expertise. You know, I, yeah. Have you clients that are still in their teens? Well, I only work with 18-year-olds. Yes. Yeah, but I would have people asking to work with their teens. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I would, would say, refer them on to somebody else, to be honest. Would you? I would. Yeah. Because it just seems to me to be, a, to be a, 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 even to somebody like me on the outside, it seems to be a huge problem. Um, Adele, when you were writing your book, uh, which <laughs> chills me to the bone still, um, Susanna, was, she was obviously... I think, a perfectionist, was she? Yes, and I didn't really think about this at the time, but I, I wonder if Susanna was mm. actually my way of writing about harms of perfectionism. Now, she's a much <laughs> better perfectionist than I am. You couldn't uh, get she a more hilarious <laughs> phrase than that. Yeah, better perfectionist, yes. <laughs> I'm better perfectionist. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I have an illness. <laughs> I'm like her heinously competitive. Uh, yeah, so so Susanna is um, a great perfectionist. Um, but yeah, so what happened to her was for people who haven't read the book, you know, she's this high achieving doctor. She's also kind of celebrity and um, she has two little babies and one of them she forgets in the car one day and the baby dies. And this all happens within the first chapter or so. So it's not um, a spoiler. The rest of the book is about the fallout from that scene. But so, yeah, she was this very high on a pedestal, very famous, very wealthy, very successful person. And then one uh, mistake happened in her life and it all sort of came crumbling down. And yeah, I think I was wanting to explore the pressure of that kind of life. And obviously my life is not like that, but I think every single one of us lives in a modern world and a modern culture and a modern society where productivity and performative productivity even is seen as very valued and it's seen as success in and of itself. And many of us feel that we can't actually stop and we can't even just relax. Like even if we're watching telly, we feel like we have to be doing something on our phone or, you know, multitasking all the time. So I did want to explore that kind of culture and that horrible pressure that we all live under, whether we're perfectionists or not. But I hadn't actually realised it until you asked me that question, Cathy, that she was my way of sort of uh, exploring that and figuring it out. Um, and even Susanna, yes, I think mm. does relinquish a little bit of her perfectionism towards the end. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> really, I, I I think, as you say, that's a, the, the, the chilling bit is the first chapter. Well, there's lots of chilling bits in it and your sense of things going out of control and bewilderment and all sorts of things. Your second book, Adele, are you following, pursuing the same themes or is it about pressure? And I think, well, there's always a bit of pressure yes. now, especially on my characters. But so the book is called In Her Place. And interestingly, we were talking about that jealousy thing because there's a lot, um, I deal a lot with envy in this book. So it's about this woman called Anne who is, kind of late 30s, everything's sort of fallen apart in her life. Her career is non-existent. Her mother has been ill and has died. And she, being the single daughter in the family with two sisters, she uh, was the one who was nominated to care for their mother. And so her life has suffered accordingly. Um, 
and she doesn't have a husband or uh, kids or a career, as I said, and she's kind of feeling the lack of this. And one day uh, she meets a guy who's this like sort of ideal man. Uh, he's very wealthy. He's very good looking. He's the same age as her, a bit older, actually. And um, they hit it off and they have this one night stand and she thinks it's going to be one night stand, but it turns into a relationship. And it emerges that he has a, a terminally ill wife who is dying. And um, so they progress with their relationship and she moves in with him. She becomes pregnant. And then... And is the um, wife upstairs in the attic, Adele? Or, or? No, she's in a hospital. Right. But what happens is she gets better. Oh! So, yeah. <laughs> so she's coming home. The sting in the tail. <laughs> so now we have to figure out who's, who's, who wow. gets to stay and who gets to leave and who's the other woman. My and, goodness, you sounds know, amazing. I can't wait for this. Me too. This, this, is, this is coming out in March. It's coming out the 21st of March. And is she a perfectionist? Have you knocked that out of her? <laughs> no, she's just really, she's very envious. She's very covetous. Yes. She's living this life where she's watching everyone else doing really well. And she's watching everyone else being really successful and having lots of money. And she feels like she's been left behind while her peers have all moved ahead. So that's... Um, well, that sounds fascinating. And Fiona, on the other hand, your next book is coming out in April. That's correct. Yes, it's uh, about sleep. And actually, a lot of perfectionists suffer with uh, restless sleep and not getting good enough sleep, if you like. And that is something that we can definitely uh, improve and have a lot more control of. So the calmer we are, the more content we are, the less striving we are, the better we sleep. So it's it's a really uh, deep dive into sleep. And uh, I'm very excited about it coming out. Well, it's definitely, a, a, it's a subject for much discussion in my circles. And uh, I presume you have, uh, you're offering solutions. Oh, it really is. Yeah, it actually is. Uh, it, the whole book is very practical and also psychological. So it's a little bit like all the work that I do. It works on both of those levels because I think you need to be practical, but you also need to understand what's going on on a deeper level. So there's hypnotherapy audios, there's techniques, there's um, it's based on lifestyle medicine. Are the audios going to come with the book? Oh, they are. And there's eight oh, of them. Really? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because we were going through when we got them back from the studio, we were listening to them, myself and my husband, and the two of us were like literally falling asleep trying to like do the edit but just going, oh my God, they, they, they're they very, very effective. And um, Dermot Whelan actually wrote the foreword for me and he has just got back from Kilimanjaro and he said that he was on the side of a hill in a tent in wild weather listening to the audios and he slept. So I thought that's a that's a great mm. testament. So now, it's the so. polar opposite to Adele's book, basically. <laughs> Adele's book. <laughs> mine will keep you awake. <laughs> Your book sounds to sleep. Like fun and then you can listen to mine afterwards. It's the combination. This, this is, is fantastic. This yes. is perfect double purchase. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Listen, yeah. that's been fascinating. So uh, one book, Adele's in March, Fiona's in April, one to wake you up and one to make you go to sleep. It's almost perfect. <laughs> well, we couldn't do any better than this. Listen, Adele <laughs> Coffee, thank you so much. And Fiona Brennan, thank, thank you. you. And I'll certainly be buying both books. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for coming into the Women's <laughs> Podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. That was Fiona Brennan and Adele Coffey there. Fiona's new book, Sleep Well, Eight Habits to Help You Fall Asleep, Stay Asleep and Wake Up Refreshed, will be out in April 2024, complete with audios, as you just heard. So hopefully we'll be hearing from her again then with lots of tips on getting a good night's rest. If you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast as it really makes a difference to us. I'm Cathy Sheridan. And this podcast was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Roisin Ingle with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. Mind yourselves. I'll talk to you next time and sleep well. Listener.